This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Labor Day weekend, as a kid growing up, we always did some labor. So yesterday, I have this project in our house, and it's, uh, it has to deal with a, a door handle. Uh, we had a door handle that, that broke, and so I uh, set about replacing it, fixing it yesterday. Now, I've done lots of door handles in my life, but this one is one of those keyed door handles, you know, where, where you've got to put the key in it. So I thought I would do something a little, um, a, little, a little dangerous for me, a little bit on the wild side. And it's one of those keys that if you take out the cylinder, I don't know if, you've, if any of you have gotten this far in an investigation, you know, or project like this. But you can take out the cylinder that the key goes into, and then if you've got a key that fits every other door in your house, you can re-key it. Now, I've replaced door handles uh, a lot, but I've never done the part of re-keying that little cylinder thing. So I set about doing it, and as I can already tell by your faces in here, you realize what's happened, right? It has not worked. In fact, so I, I took my old key, and I put it in the cylinder, and I, started, I took off the little thing at the bottom, and I started trying twist the key, and the key wouldn't twist right, so I jimmied with it, I played with it some, and I, I keep playing with it, and finally I broke the key off in the cylinder, right? So there it is. It's a project that is left undone. It's taken a lot more time and a lot more mental energy than I ever wanted to give to a door handle. Have you ever been in a project like that? You ever get to a place where it's like, I'm, I keep running into problems, or maybe you keep running into opportunities? Um, it is an opportunity for me to learn something new. Uh, we have been traveling these past few weeks through the book of Nehemiah. And the book of Nehemiah talks about uh, how the, the wall of Jerusalem was torn down. And Nehemiah heard the story about the wall being torn down, and his heart was moved, and he began to pray, and he began to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so Nehemiah, when he had an open opportunity to share what was on his heart, he did. And he shared with the king about how the wall of Jerusalem was torn down. I love this, by the way. I love this representation of the wall and the work that was in place. Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem. And he pointed out that the wall was torn down. And God wanted the wall to be rebuilt. And so he set out on a project to rebuild the wall. Well, as he set out on that project of rebuilding the wall, just like I tried to redo the door handle in my door, he kept running into opportunities. That is, if you, if you are the kind of person who views the glass as always half full. He kept running into opportunities. One of those opportunities that he ran into was this reality that there were a lot of people who benefited from the reality that the wall of Jerusalem was torn down. And, and they didn't want it to continue. And so Nehemiah had to speak into that place. And he had to say, no, this is something about, about having a safe place, a safe haven. It's about having a, a degree of, of confidence that God has called people to this place to live here, to thrive here, to, to benefit from a city that is safe and secure. Then he ran into another opportunity, what, which we're going to read here in just a minute. It's in chapter 5 of the book of Nehemiah. If you've got a Bible, if you, electronically or, or otherwise, I encourage you to go there and let us listen to this opportunity that Nehemiah encounters. This is in the midst of the wall building project. About this time, some of the wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. 
They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough food to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. So here's the opportunity that Nehemiah runs into. Um, he has people who are working on the wall, and yet they're running out of food. They're running out of food and fuel for their work, not because food is scarce within the land. They're running out of food because they don't have the resources to keep buying food. S some of the resources have been taken up because they've, they've sought loans in other times and other places, and their loans have high interest rates. And so they're paying back money at exorbitant interest rates instead of buying food with their money. Other people uh, don't have any resources because taxes have been exorbitantly high. They've been sending all of their resources back to the king of Persia. And others don't have resources because, well, I mean, they have had some resources, but their resources only came about as they sold their children into slavery and sold their children into slavery to other people who were within the same city. And, and then when they're done... After they buy food, those resources are gone. And they see their children working and living in the home of another as a slave, as a servant. And they come to Nehemiah. They say, Nehemiah, what in the world are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to have energy to continue the work on this wall? How are we supposed to be people who thrive when these are the conditions of economic injustice that we face? So Nehemiah does something that he's been doing all along in this book. Nehemiah begins to think about this, and Nehemiah begins to pray about it. And the realization for Nehemiah, the realization for many of us, is that when we face opportunities like this or we face problems like this, um, we often face things that are, they run at a number of dimensions, at a number of levels, and you can't address everything. And so Nehemiah begins to think and he begins to pray. He begins to recall something that Moses said back in the Old Testament. What we would call the Old Testament. But for Nehemiah it was simply his book. The book of, of the law. In the book of Deuteronomy. And so Nehemiah calls a gathering of people around him. And he says this in reply to their, their, their cry. He says this. I myself as well as my brothers and my workers have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. Um, see, Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, had said that when we come to a place where we're in dire straits, we need to be able to lend to one another without charging interest. We need to be able to lend and give, give resources, lend resources to other people because the joy of the Lord is ours and theirs when we do so. Because God has, if he's entrusted resources with us, we need to lend those resources to other people in dire straits. And so, uh, Nehemiah goes on, he says, you must restore their fields and their vineyards, olive groves and homes to them this very day, and repay the interest you charged 
when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and oil. So Nehemiah says, okay, folks, we've got this issue. There are a lot of things we can't speak to. Like, at this moment, I can't speak to the high taxes. At this moment, I can't speak to the reality that your daughters have been sold off into slavery. We've got a bigger project before us. We've got to get this wall built. We've got to continue to do that. But I can say this to where we're at in the moment. We need to, at this time, stop lending uh, grain, money to buy grain, and all those things. We need to stop lending those at high interest rates. Because we need to have fuel for this day. Now that doesn't mean that interest wasn't going to be charged and interest wouldn't come back into play because it it would. But in this moment, we have to take a first step. We have to take a step towards finishing the task that the Lord has put before us. And so the people do. The people embark on that task. They see the example of Nehemiah and they begin to share resources. Um, As we've been going along in the book of Nehemiah, we've also been talking about Transformation Hub. And Transformation Hub is a, is a work that we see God uh, calling us into and doing in our midst here at Schweitzer. Um, Transformation Hub, in many ways, follows sort of the story of Nehemiah where you see a problem and then you begin to ask, Lord, what do you want us to do about it? When, uh, when we first embarked on this journey, one of the real questions, sort of the seminal question, the first question that we had was this. God, we see lots of people coming to the food pantry. And the, We've seen an exponential growth in the food pantry over, over 10 years. What would you have us do with it? That was sort of the question that was before us. As we had that question before us, it seemed like God began to put people into our path uh, who could speak to that, that question. A couple weeks ago, a guy by the name of Rudy Crosco was here in worship, and he preached, he preached on how Nehemiah had a vision, and he took action. Well, it was... Uh, it was later that night after Rudy preached. And if you miss Rudy's sermon, I would encourage you to go to the Schweitzer website. You can always go to the Schweitzer website and find past sermons. You can go and see Rudy's sermon. Um, uh, Rudy, Rudy talked about that. But later that night, Rudy, uh, a question came up. You know, where did you connect with Rudy? It was incredible how God sort of um, made a providential meeting through a number of, a number of re- things, like a passion for ice cream, friends on Facebook, um, a visit to a mall, which I hardly ever go to, but because a mall had ice cream, we went there one, one evening, one June evening, uh, a couple years ago. And as we were there, I saw this guy who looked much like Rudy Carrasco, who had become, about a month earlier, uh, a friend on Facebook of mine, because I friend requested him because we shared a common friend. I had never met him before in my life, and at the mall we began to talk about um, what we were up to, I told him where I was living and serving and what we were doing, and he told me what he was up to. And in the midst of that conversation, we simply, somewhere in the midst of it, we talked about a food pantry. And Rudy said, you know, my wife, he just said, by the way, my wife is working on next steps of food pantry. It's something that in her world, in Grand Rapids, they were talking about food pantry 2.0. I said, interesting. And over the course of several months, we began to engage in conversation. And then Rudy said, he said, if you're interested in this area, he said, there's a couple of books I would recommend that you, you read or some conversations that you could have. And then uh, as he recommended those things, he kept coming back to 
to this idea of taking the next step. He says, you know, um, as you journey in what you're discovering, he said, keep before you the things that you'll run into that you can't tackle. But what, what's the next step that you can embark upon? As, uh, as a team of us gathered and we, we began to delve into the question, the reality that we see a lot of people who come to our food pantry, we know that we have some sense of responsibility to do something more than simply the food pantry. What would be the next step? Well, let me suggest and share a few next steps with you that we've, we've come to sort of settle on. One of the first next steps that is really helpful, has been helpful to us, and I think would be helpful to all of us here at Schweitzer, is to have an understanding of definitions. And definitions help you have a, have a degree of expectancy, and, and you know what you can achieve with, with some things. So um, we encountered this, these three definitions along the way. Uh, these come from a book called Toxic Charity. One, the first definition is the definition of relief. Relief occurs during an emergency that's really short-term. You know, when somebody visits our food pantry at Schweitzer, uh, they're able to go away with some prayer, and they're able to go with a couple bags of groceries. But if, if, you, um, if you do any grocery shopping, if you're the person in your ho home that does grocery shopping, you know that a couple bags of groceries doesn't last very long, does it? And, and one of the things that we really are good at at the Schweitzer Food Pantry, we're really good at providing a short period of relief. But, but we don't do, or the food pantry doesn't have the capacity to do things beyond that measure of relief. That's really what it's designed for, and it's what it does well. And so we, uh, understanding that definition helped us a lot realize that there are some other things, some other steps that need to be uh, taken and that we can take. One of the other things that helped us within the definition of relief was the realization that the bulk of people who are addressing the issue of poverty are all working within that framework of relief. In fact, the folks at Jobs for Life say that 98% of church ministries that are, that are started with the intention of working on issues of poverty all reside in that one area. So, if you're a person of vision, you can see that there's a lot of work to do within the other, within the other two, two circles that we're going to talk about here. Rehabilitation. This, this has the capacity to increase or restore uh, services or things that were pre-existing pre um, to, to, uh, to those levels or to improve levels. One of the sort of vivid examples of, of what rehabilitation does is when a, when a tornado storm comes through a town, it comes back in and it puts houses together and it puts... It helps people put their lives back together. One of the things that uh, we're really looking at for rehabilitation here is Jobs for Life. Pastor, Pastor Bob and Bill McNeil last week talked about Jobs for Life and about how it helps people who are at a point in life identify what are their skills, what are some of their abilities, and what are some of the roadblocks that they've encountered or are encountering at the present time to, to having a job, keeping a job, really flourishing within a job. Jobs for Life addresses those things, and it does so as people uh, take a look at Scripture, and they take a look at, at, at their patterns of life, and it hooks them up with a mentor and a coach, and it says, you know, how can we get beyond those roadblocks to the point where we begin to flourish again? And so Jobs for Life is a component of, of entering into a rehabilitation stage. If you're interested, uh, last week, if 
you got to hear about Jobs for Life or if you need to go on the website and hear more about Jobs for Life, we would encourage you to do so. This coming Saturday at Serve Day, Bill McNeil and, uh, and, a, and another, a couple other folks are going to join him. And there's going to be a training about what Jobs for Life can do and, and what its scope is. If you're, if you're interested in that, we'd encourage you to come to Serve Day this Saturday and learn more about Jobs for Life. Then the last thing that's up there is development. And development is a, is a long-term phase where uh, you simply see the improvement of a person's life over years and decades. Not just a person's life, but even a, an entire community. And, and development is something that you, you enter into and you don't, you don't anticipate quick fixes. But you realize that you're going to see people make long-term progressions and grow. And they're going to grow into the capacity that God has put before them. Um, a number of things that we envision for this sense of development include uh, a community garden. Did you know that Schweitzer owns a tract of land that's uh, adjacent to the, to the parking lot? It's a tract that when Schweitzer acquired it, hosted a, hosted a house, but uh, I don't know, a few years ago, nobody ever told me how long ago, the house was raised, and so we have a nice tract of grass and trees. And as we've thought about what helps a community grow and develop, what brings people together on a common ground, not just people here in worship, but, but people around the community on different times and different places, a community garden would make a, would make a, great, um, would make a great project on that piece of land. A garden is, a, is something that I've come to dearly love in my own in my own heart, in my own spiritual development. Because a garden helps you put your hands back in the soil, right? It reminds you that God, God did something in the first garden in the world when he created us. And when you put your hands back in the soil, you begin to, to get back in touch with that sense of created order. You also, um, for me anyways, I begin to anticipate the garden that is to come because because as Scripture describes what we're to look forward to, it talks about a city, a city where everything is right and good, and, and within the city there's a garden. And within the garden there are trees that grow, and they bring about the, the healing of the world. And so a garden is a, is a place where the story of God seems to unfold. A garden is also a place where you take little seeds and you put them in the soil, and you have to pray that things grow. Or you have to pray that rain comes down. And you, you begin to hope, you begin to hope and anticipate that something will grow and that there will be some fruit that comes forth from a garden. And a garden is a place where you face disappointment because not all seeds that you plant end up growing. And you can hoe, you know, you can take the weeds out of a garden and then weeds continue to come back. You begin to really see how the, a garden can be reflective of the entirety of your soul and that you have a part to play in the garden, and God has a part to play in the garden. And when you put a garden in the midst of a community, you begin to find another, another venue where people can interact. And you begin to find that God is at work in all kinds of people's hearts. And God is at work within the soul of a community. So one of the steps in development we know is a garden. And if you've ever been around a master gardener and you heard their stories... And you've listened to them talk. You've seen the fruit of a beautiful garden. You know that a beautiful garden doesn't take shape overnight. But it takes years. 
So a garden is something that's on our hearts, on our mind. If you're interested in being a part of, the, of a community garden project here at Schweitzer, let me encourage you to check a box. It's on the tear-off slip. And uh, if you don't know what to do with that slip, somebody after first service came up and they gave it to me. said, I love gardening. I know a lot about it. I would love to be a part of the community garden. Or you can take it to the, the information desk that's in the, that's in the foyer, and somebody would be glad to take that. Or you can email me. We'd be glad to put you on a team if you want to invest in a community garden. One of the other things that we're really interested in is developing a class uh, uh, called From Dreams to Enterprise. Uh, Bill McNeil talked about how we need to, to have a Jobs for Life where people can, uh, who are at a place, they're ready to really get serious about walking into a job that they can have. What about people who have a dream or what about people who have trouble getting a job? I've asked Matt Myers, who's the Connection Director at Church at the Center, to come and join me this morning and share just a little bit with us about how a Dreams to Enterprise class would, would be helpful. In fact, how Matt's gone through some really interesting, he's had an interesting journey where he's come to the place where a Dreams to Enter, Enterprise course would still be helpful to this day. So Matt, why don't you quickly tell us about your, your elevator story, how you ended up at Church of the Center. All right, uh, I'm a recovering drug addict. I'm a three-time convicted felon. Uh, I was in a prison. They let me out. I came to the food pantry, and uh, someone showed me all the couches. It was back when it was still the warehouse, and uh, told me about church at the center. So I started showing up, and uh, met Mark, and got plugged in, and uh, I work there now. I'm a, so that's kind of weird, I find it. It's really awesome. In fact, I have a neighbor that knew Matt when Matt was a little boy. And whenever he sees me, he always asks, so how's Matt? And I say, Matt's doing great. He's working at the church. He's on staff. He just looks at me and his jaw drops. He's like, really? Because he knows not only from your little boy, but he knows the full story, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I wronged a lot of people. And, uh, you know, that's one of those things you got to deal with. So You do, but God's been really redemptive. Yeah. It's good stuff. <laughs> it is good stuff. Um, <laughs> And I got to baptize, one of the joys, I got to baptize Matt, be a part of Matt's baptism when he came in. He really confessed faith, and it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. Um, Matt, one of the things that we know is when you came out of prison, you were looking for a job. And tell us about that process of looking for a job. So I got out of prison. I'm uh, on probation I'm in town. I have good transportation, and uh, I'm trying to get a very low-end job. So I'm going to like McDonald's and those kind of places. And I figured I'd have a job within days, right? And I didn't. And a few weeks later, I'm still applying. I'm still calling. And I'm, I'm eager and I'm excited. And I still can't get a job. So uh, a buddy of mine in a, one of my classes that I have to take for probation was a drywaller. And my dad had a drywall company, so I had experience. And I didn't want a drywall job because it was just, you know, more travel and stuff. And he said, well, I can get you on for it with a guy named Brian to uh, do drywall. So that's why I got a job. And this is a couple months later. And you started working doing drywall. And mm -hmm. before long, the guy that you were working for, um, he, he moved out of the picture. Well, the people, we worked for a guy yeah. named Brian at a place called Nantucket. And Nantucket came to us and realized that Brian was never on the job site. And they, they wondered why they were paying him and decided to pay us directly. So now we went from employees to, to being our own company. Had you ever run your own company before? 
Not really. Um, so here you are. You can't get a job, and then you get a job doing drywall because you've got some skills and abilities. You've mm -hmm. got some history doing that. And now you find yourself, you're, you're in an entrepreneurial place. Now, did you know enough to, to run it, this enterprise? Well, we knew enough to get the job done. Okay. And that was what, all we had at first. And uh, we, used, uh, we used their comp and their materials company, which uh, they charged us to use their stuff. So you begin to run a business, and you begin to, you begin to encounter the cost of running a business. Yeah. And uh, so we're going through, and we come up with this conclusion that we're going to need some money. How, how easy is it for guys who've got some some record in this world yeah. to get access to some money. Well, we had no credit. Uh, you know, we're all recovering, we're both recovering drug addicts, me and my both partners, so uh, we didn't think a bank would even let us open an account. So we, we got an account, we saved, we got cheap. And we saved up, we had a, a figure in mind to start out at two grand, it's grown into 3,500 now, that we use for operating capital, which allows us to do jobs. And uh, how, many, how many people are on your crew? Uh, we're up to six at present time. And how many of those people uh, were in a similar spot as you? Five of us. Five of you. Um, let me suggest something to you all. That, that when business, there we go, put that up there, Will. When businesses flourish... And when businesses begin to express the values of the king, there begins to be a direct impact upon the community. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> there begins to be a direct impact upon the community. And poverty begins to be directly impacted. We see in this area of, of community development all kinds of things that are on the horizon. And what we know is this, is that we need people with hearts of entrepreneurship who are passionate about following Jesus. We need those kinds of people to come together. And we need them to speak into the lives of people who want who want to take a dream that they've got and grow it into an enterprise. Now, it may not be the, their full-time deal, it may grow into something big, or, it, or for a long time, it may simply just be something that they attend to. And they grow a little, but they flourish inside because they're wired up for it. And it, it takes their passions, and it takes their giftedness, and it takes what God has really put upon their heart, and they begin to serve other people with joy and gladness. If you're interested in being a part of what we're calling Dreams to Enterprise, and dealing with actually a number of other issues along the way, even some of the issues like how do you get capital. If you've got skills in banking or you, you have skills in, in some organizational stuff, we're looking for you to join up and to sign up and to speak in to a, to a whole bunch of people who find themselves in similar situations as Matt did. Nehemiah had a project, right? Just to rebuild the wall. He encountered a lot of other things along the way. In Nehemiah chapter 8, the people come to Nehemiah once again. They keep coming to Nehemiah because they keep coming with what they see as, as problems, and Nehemiah sees as opportunities. 
They come to him and they say, Nehemiah, the wall is built. We're going to have a celebration. You've already got the date set. The ribbons are going up, all that stuff. We can't wait. But Nehemiah, we have not heard, we have not heard the, the good news read to us in a long time. We've not heard the stories of our past. We've not heard the stories of Moses. We haven't heard the story of God in a long time. And so Nehemiah calls another community gathering. And Ezra the priest gets out the scrolls of God and he begins to read the stories of God in Nehemiah chapter 8. And as the stories of God are read, the people begin to weep. And they weep because they see what their lives could have been like. They weep because they hear about how Jerusalem at one point was this, was this city that everybody in the world wanted to be, wanted to be in. It was a, a, it was a magnet city. It was a city that had this temple that was gorgeous and beautiful and everybody wanted to be there. And the people weep because they know that the disobedience of their forefathers had missed the promises of God. And they weep because they look around them and the land looks like it's a desert. Do you notice how the, the ground around us soaked up all that water that came over the last couple days? Because the land was so parched, and the land soaked it up. Their hearts were like parched ground. And they began to weep when they heard the story of God read. And in the midst of their weeping, Nehemiah says, Time out, folks. Time out. Um, Nehemiah picks up on, on a theme that is, is throughout Scripture, and he says this. He says, the reading of, of God's story is meant to give you joy, not to cause you to weep. You see, because when you turn your hearts and your heads and your minds toward God, God turns His hearts and His attention and His joy towards you. And in fact, for the fullness of restoration to take place in the life of the people of Jerusalem, there, it was never enough to simply build a wall. Or it was never enough to simply deal with injustice, economic injustice. But for people to really flourish, they needed to be connected to God. And they needed to have the fullness of their relationships touched by the good news of the gospel. That God loves us, God cares about us. God has planted his image within us and we are made to be people who reflect the glory in the image of God. So Nehemiah says, don't weep. You want what God wants? Fantastic. God couldn't be happier. God will take this place where you're at now and he will continue to do his work in you and you will see your lives thrive. Nehemiah says, so what should you do when you hear the voice of God? When you listen to the, the story of God, you should listen. And then you should go home and you should throw a party. I don't know what you have in mind for tomorrow, but let me suggest that, that a block party is a very spiritual thing to do. A block party is a very spiritual thing to do. Because it draws people together in community. And if you're walking in the ways of Jesus, you can begin to share the way of Jesus and the life of Jesus with all those who are around you. Nehemiah began with a question. And he began to see that that question took him to lots of places. 
And the ending place is the place where we come to as well. If we are going to see people thrive, we've got to see people have their relationships reconnected with God. May that begin with us. And may it ripple out to this entire community. Amen.